episode 168 where we're going to discuss <clears throat> the Spanish Inquisition. Well, you know, one of the reasons I came up with that, you know, we were talking about the satanic panic the other day. Mm-hmm. And when you really think about it, there, there's not a whole lot of difference between the satanic panic and what happened with the Spanish Inquisition and other horrific times in history. The, the main difference is back then there wasn't a separation of church and state. The church pretty much ran everything. So when these, you know, Panics came through, and before science, people just kind of went nuts, and they ran with it. They did, but it also exactly what you—it's—it's it's a cautionary tale <laughs> for whenever you depend on the state, whether it's a church, a theocracy, or a bureaucracy. Whenever you depend on the state to solve all your problems, then then it t- typically goes bad. Yeah. History history uh, <laughs> has a way of showing us that. Um, it is January 27th of 2021, and we chose a pretty heavy subject to get into our kind of regular shows again, but um, it's fun. Nobody expects a Spanish Inquisition, so um, <laughs> we'll get into it here shortly, but um, it is the 27th of January, so we have to do... First, the old business. All right, so... On this date in 1832, happy birthday to Lewis Carroll, the writer of Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, brought us all kinds of funny things like the Mad Hatter and the March Hare. Such a trippy book. Such a crazy, yeah, very trippy book. (laughs) What about Fever Dream? Fever Dream that Stephen King would be proud of. (laughs) Um, Of course, back then, you know, things like cocaine and opium were pretty much, you could just buy them down at the local pharmacy, like Altoids, so... um, Got to have plenty of that. Plus, he was a mathematician, so any time you spend more than a couple of hours per day in elementary school dealing with math, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to lose your mind. <laughs> All right, let's see. 1957, Mr. Frank Miller. <clears throat> yes, yes, I did read about that actually earlier, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, he's... Uh, <clears throat> The Dark Knight, and... He did Daredevil for a bit. Uh, a few of the comic books that he did, he's a legend. Sin City, he's, mm-hmm. he's done quite a bit of... Uh, I think he was actually involved in the directing of the movie adaptation as well. Yep, and then he did a lot of Wolverine. He did, yep. he did quite a bit. He, <clears throat> he darkened up some superheroes pretty yeah. good. <laughs> but his Dark Knight series kind of established the current uh, universe for Batman. Exactly. On this date in 1984, Michael Jackson got burned while he was filming a Pepsi commercial. It was a huge deal, man. It was a huge deal. All that activator and that Jerry girl just went up. <laughs> and on this date in 1993, we lost Andre the Giant, which... Sad day. It's funny, you know, because I remember Andre's uh, wrestling persona was a bad guy. Well, he went from face to heel. He uh, he switched back and forth a little bit. Right, but he was he was primarily known as a bad guy, kind of like Roddy Piper. Like in, even in like the old wrestling cartoon, you know, Roddy Piper was kind of the leader of the bad wrestlers, yeah. and Andre was on his team. And then you had Hogan at the front of the good ones and his team or whatever. But I never saw, except for in the ring itself, when he was supposed to be a bad guy. Andre was always smiling. He was always yeah. happy. You know, greeting fans. There's pictures of him with children. And well, the like stories about lift, him are lifting phenomenal. up girls on his arms, and you know, right. Princess Bride. Like Andre the Giant was awesome. Yeah, yeah. The stories that you read about him and some of the documentaries you see about him, he just sounds like just an outstanding person. People loved him. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I remember the day. I remember when he died. <laughs> you're like, nah, man. <laughs> it's such a unique person. I mean, mm-hmm. just in size and in personality, he was he was awesome. So, movies. This date in history. 1918. 1918. 102 years ago. Damn. <laughs> Tarzan of the Apes. Tarzan's been famous and been popular for a really long time. Right. Um, 1971, Beast of Blood. 
1971. Also, Curse of the Vampires. Apparently, those came out in a double feature. So that would have been fun. Yeah. Yeah. 1995, Highlander 3. And 2011, The Grey. You ever seen that with the Liam Neeson? No, I have not. Um, I saw it. Wait. I don't really remember it, so I don't. What year? 2011. No, I don't remember that one. I get got it confused with the one with the cannibals. Okay. Um, but what was the one he was in where it was in the snow? He was like a snowplow driver. It came out a couple years ago. I can't remember the name of it, but it's a really really odd movie. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's interesting. But I remember I saw that in the theaters. For some reason, I was thinking it was called White Out. That's why when you said gray, it kind of confused me. It might have been. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it for old business. We'll take a break and come back. Foolish friends, Freddy Krueger is on your phone. Dial this number now. I've got some tales to tell. Freddy's favorite bedtime stories. <laughs> Dead time stories. All brand new and straight from my boiler room to your home. It's Freddy Krueger on your phone. So dial this number now if you dare. Tell them Freddy sent you. Two dollars the first minute, 45 cents each additional minute. Children, get your parents' permission before you dial. We're back, and it's time for... New business is new business, and this is new business. Alrighty, so a couple, couple bits of movie news, of course. Uh, I'll talk about this again since the episode kind of got kiboshed. Uh, the new Nicolas Cage versus Evil Animatronics trailer has come out in Willy's Wonderland, which looks like it's going to be a pretty cool movie. Uh, as uh, Boone told me, it looks like it's what the uh, Banana Splits was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be pretty uh, pretty neat. The uh, synopsis is a janitor, played by Nicolas Cage, finds himself stranded in a remote town. Unable to pay the repair shop to fix his Jeep, he agrees to work off his debt by spending the night cleaning Willy's Wonderland. An abandoned theme park full of animatronic characters that were once a beacon of fun for children to play with. Uh, Willie's Wonderland carries a dark secret, though, that the janitor is about to discover. He's been lured into a deadly trap, or rather a living nightmare, as the Wonderland's animatronic characters come to life to destroy him. The janitor is forced to find his way from one monster to another, trying to survive until morning. And this janitor doesn't play nice. It, uh, it sounds it, The trailer looks great. Uh, sounds like a pretty cool movie, so... It, it's one that I'm going to want to check out for sure. I, I'll watch anything Nicolas Cage wants. So <laughs> just that in itself is a win for me. And, of course, the other big movie news to come out. <clears throat> Godzilla versus King Kong. That looks cool. It looks great. It's, a, of course, throwback to what we grew up with and everything. With the kaiju we were talking about on the forum the other day. Uh Causing some people to take sides, of course, all over the place. And I will always be Team Godzilla. That's just me. <clears throat> just looking at the... Uh, and the thing about it is... I was talking to my cousin, my cousin the other day. A couple of days ago. Uh, depending on... If you go strictly by the movies of the 60s and 70s, there's no way King Kong could beat Godzilla. King Kong is a 10-story tall gorilla, and that's it. There's nothing... <laughs> extraordinary about him other than the fact he's a really really big gorilla Godzilla was created through nuclear fusion and <laughs> <laughs> is ginormous he is you no know, ten times the size of what King Kong should be uh, so depending on if they if they're obviously not sticking with that lore because when you look at the uh, the trailer they're the same size well, King Kong versus Godzilla came out a long, long time ago, yeah. and they were the same time. I still have the VHS, yeah. yeah. And um, if I remember correctly, it ended in a stalemate. Yeah. It ended, in fact, very similarly to Jason versus Freddy. Yeah. Um, it was Godzilla walking off into the water, and King Kong walking off into the mountains, and obviously leaving it open for there going to be a, you know, rematch at some time in the future. Right. This is that rematch. I mean, I think... I mean, I've never been as into Godzilla and King Kong and as some other people. Like, some people just really, really love the whole kaiju mm-hmm. thing. I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. I enjoy it. But at the end of the day, giant monsters knocking down buildings while punching each other. <laughs> you, you don't really need that much like of a Pulitzer Prize winning right. writer. You know? Just make it fun. <laughs> like, make it fun. Just fun. This is kind of like 
um, throw, throws me back to like stuff like Superman, where it's like every time they make a Superman movie, they have to spend 45 minutes with the origin of Superman, and it's like, dude, if you don't know who Superman is, you're not going <laughs> to a Superman movie, right? Like, <laughs> so just just drop monsters. Let them punch it out and have a good old time. Place your bets. <laughs> right. Well, the movie is expected to come out. It's been pushed back a little bit. It's coming out March 31st uh, in theaters and on HBO Max. It's one that I, I saw King of Monsters in the IMAX, which was awesome. So this is one that I'd probably want to see in the theater itself. But, uh, yeah, so Godzilla versus versus Kong coming out to a theater and streaming service near you. Uh the actual plot synopsis is Legends Collide as these mythic ad- adversaries meet in a spectacular battle for the ages with the fate of the world hanging in the balance. Kong and his protectors undertake a perilous journey to find his true home and with them is Gia, a young orphan girl with whom he has formed a unique powerful bond. But they unexpectedly find themselves in the path of an enraged Godzilla cutting a swath of destruction across the globe. The epic clash between the two titans instigated by unseen forces is only the beginning of the mystery that lies deep within the core of the earth. Now, what's interesting is people have like been trying to, uh, you know, through the trailer, find the Easter eggs that are telling you what's going to end up happening. One of the things people keep talking about is the fact that they they keep referring to King Kong as only Kong and not loving the king. And some people are saying since Godzilla was in the King of Monsters, where he was, you know, the the, the final winner that once Kong beats him, he will then be known as King Kong. Other people are pointing out the fact that in the trailer, it looks as though Mechagodzilla shows up. <laughs> and they're thinking that what's going to happen is Kong and Godzilla is going to end up teaming up to go against Mechagodzilla to take him out. So there's a bunch of theories out there. We'll have to wait and see once the movie comes out on the 31st of March. But that's... The hype of it is going to be a huge movie, though. <laughs> it looks people awesome. Are, people are just going crazy behind this movie right now. Uh, other movie news, uh, Richard Kelly, the original uh, director of Donnie Darko, has confirmed that they are working on a sequel to Donnie Darko. Not the uh, sequel that came out in 2009 called S. Darko. I don't know if you ever even heard of that, but it was a huge, huge miss that people don't even acknowledge anymore. So that ought to be neat, seeing a new Donnie Darko. That's a fun movie uh, that's worth more than one watch, though, because it's kind of it's like uh, Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. You want to make sure you get it all and understand exactly what's going on with that movie. Uh, and a couple of fun little things. You may have seen an article that I posted earlier. Researchers reveal sounding like a sailor may be a sign of intelligence, creativity, and has, it has superpowers that help us endure more pain. So whenever you... Uh, I curse a lot. I enjoy cursing. Like I said, it's a, to me, it's a, it's the best way of emphasizing an exclamation point other than screaming. You can just curse, and it lets you let your uh, listener know what you're trying to say. So uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a uh, guest host, or you know, a guest on uh, you know, it's awesome podcast, and um, awesome podcasts. You know, it is what it is, but we try to keep it clean. It's it's Rick's <clears throat> thing. He wants yeah. you know. Try not to cuss. So every now and then I'll let one slip and I have to make a note and go back and cut it out because, you know, just trying to be respectful of my of my co-host and stuff. <laughs> we, we had the dude on there and he's a podcaster, but he they just cussed. So he, like, that was one of the things. Was like, oh, man, I kept hearing him. He just kept on wanting to go to the F-bomb. <laughs> he kept, he's like... <laughs> What's up, Gary? <laughs> well, some of the things that they have seen is uh, science has found a number of positives and uh, benefits of swearing. People who curse have a more fluent vocabulary, which is linked to intelligence. A lot of people say that people that curse aren't as intelligent. They, they, they don't have enough words to fill the vocabulary. Well, these scientists say the opposite. Uh, studies have found that it is a sign of honesty as it shows true emotions. Not trying to hide anything. I've laid it out exactly how I feel. Using profanity activates an area of the right brain known as the creative brain. <laughs> and another study found that using foul language increases our pain threshold. You're not, you're not trying to hide the pain and hold it in. You're dealing with it and you're letting out a good <laughs> fuck or shit or something to let those folks know how you feel. So, yeah. So that study is available online if you want to check it out. I think I'm going to save this story for the next podcast. Maybe that. But we'll get to this one. 
Paleontologists have come out and said the first preserved dinosaur butthole is perfect and unique. Have you seen this story? <laughs> I have. <laughs> <laughs> the first dinosaur butthole ever discovered is shedding light where the sun don't shine. The discovery reveals how dinosaurs use this multi-purpose opening, scientifically known as a cloacal vent, which sharks also have those, by the way, where it's one hole that's used for pooping, peeing, breeding, and egg-laying. <laughs> Which is interesting. So uh, a dinosaur was found with a perfectly preserved butthole. <laughs> Which they are studying, and they, uh, they they able to. No wonder the microphone doesn't like this. <laughs> <laughs> you just said butthole like four times. <laughs> it's a fun word to say, man. Call me, call me, you just call imagine me if we were on video, you'd see Scotty's <laughs> fingers are bridged together like like Mr. Burns. Like <laughs> <laughs> the well-preserved booty belongs to the dinosaur Cynticosaurus, a bristly-tailed, Labrador-sized, horn-faced dinosaur, meaning it was a relative of the Triceratops, like his famous. Trihorn cousin. It lived during the Cretaceous period, which lasted from 140 million to 65 million years ago. So yeah, so they have the, you know, I love, you know, for years they've been finding skeletons and then showing us what these dinosaurs look like. Which how do you know that's what they look like? And what's interesting is with them finding more well-preserved uh, uh, remains. They're actually able to verify, yeah, we've been telling you for this long, that's what it looked like. Look, that's exactly what it looked like, mm. which is pretty cool, man. They, uh, a lot of their theories that they've had for a long time are being confirmed with some of the discoveries they're having now, which is pretty neat. But I just really wanted to talk about it, but it's always fun. <laughs> that's it for our new business today. <laughs> Naked dawn of man to the magnificence of the Bible. The Lord Jehovah has given unto you these 15, <laughs> 10, 10 commandments. From the glory that was Rome uh, to the dark evils of the Spanish Inquisition. For now begins the Inquisition. To the French Revolution with its squalor and its splendor. They grow violent. They are my people. I am their sovereign. I love them. Oh! History of the World, Part 1, starring... Scoot the beta king. More women! More wine! More! And submit to the king. Lust for one. Oh, that's let's call. Chip, you beautiful Shut women. Shut it! Let's end this meeting on a high note. Hey, what country are you from? Ethiopia. What part? On 25th Street. Oh. I'm Miriam. I'm a best virgin. I'm really sorry to hear that. You should have been here over 30 grains ago. Please manage me! Gee, I just ate. Drama. Do you require a blindfold? None. Have you any last words? None. Test the guillotine. Hold. Action. Where are you going? I don't know! Romance. Say when? 8.30. Spectacle. The Inquisition. What a show. We know you're wishing that we go away. But the Inquisition's here and it's here to stay. Mel Brooks, History of the World, Part 1. Ten million years in the making. It was funny as until I was probably, I'm going to just throw an age out there, 13, let's say. Everything I knew about the Spanish Inquisition came from Mel Brooks and the Monty Python show. <laughs> Which made it look like it was a lot of fun. You know, singing and dancing and jokes and everything. and uh, It actually was pretty, pretty damn brutal. Well, see, I knew it was a bad deal. 
But I thought it was kind of like with with many things, like like the Holocaust, right? Like, man, that was really, really bad. But the Holocaust only lasted for a couple of years. Yeah. Like, they did a lot of damage in that short time. But whenever you talk about the Holocaust, you don't realize, like, you don't think about the Holocaust lasting 300 years. Yeah. A lot of people think the Inquisition was a single event, but it wasn't. It was a lot. The the Inquisition itself was not an event at all. The Inquisition itself was a bureaucracy set up within the theocracy for a specific purpose. Mm -hmm. So... The Spanish Inquisition, you could kind of think of as almost like the Gestapo or the FBI or the CIA or the KGB. They were a arm of the government whose job it was to seek out heretics. Yeah. Or what they considered heretics. That's the thing. You know, it was, a lot of these people were just normal people caught up in... A lot of them this. were, and we'll get, to that, we'll get to that shortly, but it actually did have purpose at the beginning like Mm -hmm. inquisitions were a part of catholic uh governments if you if you if you go to like the first page if you look up spanish inquisition go to wikipedia it talks about um other inquisitions in other places Mm -hmm. as compared to the spanish inquisition and you know what what became known as the spanish inquisition over time but there was a lot of basically you know it, it was a tribunal. It was a, it was a, yeah. you know, it was, a, it was some officials whose job it was to kind of hear claims and, and, and collect evidence and pass judgments, same as a military tribunal would do now, you know, a court-martial sort of situation. It, in and of itself, was not necessarily an evil thing. It was just used for <laughs> pretty, pretty evil purposes at yeah. times. Um, and the thing is, like with any government, and and this isn't some of one of those situations where I'm going to sit here and rail on government. But the problem, you know, at the outset, whenever we're going to discuss this, from what I could read and you know what I know, is the the problem. One one of the many problems with government and people's dependence on government, and I'll use a very 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 easy example. So here in Texas where we live, we have dry summers, we have occasional droughts, and they'll pass burn bans. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, you can't burn stuff for danger of setting the forest on fire. And when they pass these burn bans, people actually get upset because they say, well, it's not the government's purview to tell me what I can do with my own property on my own property. So you can't tell me I can't burn trash on my own acreage. Turns out they can. They do have that authority. Yeah. But the theory is correct. And you might say, well, that person is selfish, but that person may be selfish, but they're not unright. They're not they're not incorrect as to what what a government agency can and can tell you what to do, yada yada yada. The problem that we have is that very often the government will do something like pass a burn ban. During the time of crisis, when fire danger is is at its peak, and they'll say, hey, burn bans save lives, save property, save, save all kinds of stuff, so we're going to put a burn ban in place. The problem comes when they don't pull the burn ban down when the, when the wet season comes. Yeah. And now <clears throat> you need fire. And you're not allowed to use your fire because they passed a law in a time of need and they refused to, to recant it. Yeah. And so what you have is like the, the reason for the Spanish Inquisition that it started was your famous uh, Ferdinand and Isabella who financed the trip for Christopher Columbus to come sail the seas in 1492, right? They had just... They were in the middle of and had just completed a reconquista of the Spanish nation, yeah. which had been under Moorish control, Ottoman control, Muslim control for 700 years. <coughs> and they had just reclaimed the state of Spain as a Catholic nation under a secular government. Um, 
when I say secular government, they were Catholics, but they were not under the control of the Pope nor the Moors. They were an independent nation. Mm -hmm. And the problem was they were full of Muslims that had lived there for like 700 years that were not necessarily happy about their government switching right. <laughs> switching out on them. So the, the, the tribunal, the, the, the Inquisition was set up because they said, cool, you can stay here if you're Catholic. But if you're Jewish or Muslim or Hindu or anything else, you got to go. You either need to convert or you need to leave. Because we've been fighting this war for like a thousand years and we're not going to do it anymore. We don't trust you. Right. And another reason it was uh, brought about is because at the time there was actually the medieval Inquisition that was going on that was actually run by the church itself. Mm -hmm. And Ferdinand and Isabel said, well, y'all aren't doing enough, so we're going to take this over. Right. You know, and, and that's where it went from the simple medieval Inquisition to just something totally beyond the church's control that just grew into a monster. Yeah, because it was a combination of church and state. Yeah. It was the power of the state with the influence of the church. Yeah. And um, so while it did have, I mean, and to liken it to modern times, you know, you got Trump and his travel bans, and everybody's like, oh, that's, uh, you know, that's racist. Well, perhaps, but are we trying, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to be mean to people? Are we trying to stop a virus from spreading? Right. What's, what, where are we at with this? The problem is two years from now when the virus is beat and they still have those tra travel bans in place, the reason why it's there kind of gets lost to history. Yeah. And then you have people being singled out or deported or arrested or For whatever. other reasons besides what it was initially intended. Right. So, uh... 300 years, though. That's longer than America's been a, been a nation. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy, man. And, and the thing about it is, it, it started, you know, in those immediate, that immediate Spanish territory, but then it spread to all the Spanish-controlled territories in North, Central, South America, just everywhere. Uh, they started weeding out heretics from their, their colonies, which was just, that's where it blew up to, uh, modern estimates put it at 150,000 people prosecuted. And almost up to 5,000 were actually executed between all those cases. That's a lot of people, dude, mm -hmm. for those times. The world wasn't as populated <laughs> as it is yeah. now, man. Yeah, it was pretty... And they don't even necessarily... That I mean, there's too many theories about kind of why it was what it was and became what it became. Um... But why it happened is not as crazy as what happened. Because what happened was <laughs> a lot of... Well, again, like we said, there was a lot of false conversions. Um, especially on, on, the, um, on the Jewish side of things. They, yes. They would convert publicly to Catholicism and then secretly practice Judaism... Um, under the cover of night or whatever. And that made them, again, untrustworthy. And again, you know, like, with a modern lens and you look at people and you look at kind of the, the rainbow coalitions and diversity concepts and stuff, historically diversity has been a bad thing because you have your culture, you kind of have your group, you have your in-group, and it survived whatever persecutions it's been to whatever kind of current level of success it's at, when you have people from another group come in, they're not necessarily their goals are not necessarily your goals, right. and historically it's been dangerous. Yeah. Um, and so especially whenever you're trying to reestablish a state that's been under, you know, external control for that long, you don't really trust really anybody. You know, and Spain had a had a big problem in that under Moorish control, their their bloodlines had gotten, let's just say, less white. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they were looked down upon by the rest of Europe. You know, England and France and and you know Norway and all those other crowned heads looked at Spain as kind of a, <clears throat> a backwards, upside down, you know mix of less than of, of bloods and religions and in order to reclaim reclaim their 
their their superpower status on the world stage, they needed to do something about that. So those sorts of moves are not always nice. There's going to be there's going to get people that get swept up in the in the floods right. and you know you didn't necessarily have to be you know a fake conversion made you a heretic but you didn't actually necessarily need to do anything to be accused of it you could just be like a normal everyday guy and somebody could be like oh well he's got a jewish name so obviously yeah he's you know and and that one of the bad guys that is where the brutality came in because you'd have these people that were swept in that actually weren't heretics were accused of it but just like future iterations of these same types of uh, phenomena like Salem witch trials because they figured they were guilty even though they were saying they were not guilty they sort of coming up with ways to get these confessions out of them and that's where these crazy torture methods came from and the brutality and the executions finally came from because you we talked about torture on here before. A lot of these methods of torture, if you put me in it, I'd tell you whatever you want to hear just to just for it to stop. Well, of course. So you definitely had plenty of false confessions that, that got swept up into this. People that were totally innocent. That Well, you had that, but then you also had whenever you, you know you could you can say and again I'm only I'm it's devil's advocate but I'm only looking at it kind of as an evolution throughout the course of the Inquisition and kind of a you know an eye on history. You can say like okay well fine the Christian and Muslim faiths are incompatible so if you're going to be a Christian nation you need to put your Muslims in check. Um, but then. What happens whenever Catholicism and other sects of Christianity aren't compatible as well? Yeah, like the which Protest happens a lot. With, which the Protestants and the Anglicans and all the other kind of offshoots of, Christi of Catholicism within Christianity. So then you have the Catholic Church kind of casting a wide net of what's the definition of heretic, mm -hmm. right? Like, And a lot of times people didn't necessarily even know. I mean, you have to understand literacy... And, you know, it's like you are born in a village, your parents take you to the church, you hear the bells ring, you listen to what the preacher tells you, you don't know how to read. Yeah. You know, there's no such thing as, like, a library and, and literacy. You go, you go to <clears throat> church and they tell you what, to, what you believe in, and then one day a whole bunch of guys in armor ride into town and tell you that you're a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> drag your priest out of of his uh parsonage and uh take him away right put you in stocks and there's no public defender there's no there's, there's no help there yeah so there's a lot of people that were quote unquote guilty that never even understood what was what the hell was happening to them and they were christians like you know? <laughs> Man, they really came after the witches, though, didn't they? Yeah, they did. <laughs> yes, they did. But uh, you want to talk about some of the torture techniques that were derived sure. during that time? Well, this first one, I'm looking at my list right here. and uh, Because you've already told me not to say the word butthole, I'm not going to say exactly <laughs> what it says here. So we're going to talk about the Judas Cradle a little bit. Well, once bit. you get done with that, we'll talk about sodomy. <laughs> you remember the Judas Cradle, of course. Judas Cradle was a very gruesome device. A naked victim was forced to sit on top of a sharp pointed pyramid seat. Uh, the pointy end penetrated the victim. <laughs> and then they would pull ropes attached to the victim's limbs and slowly force him down onto this pyramid. Opening up this person's orifice and, of course, just going deeper and deeper into their body. Uh, it was kept up for several hours and pretty much they'd either die or confess. Or go to Ren Fair. <laughs> you local Houstonians shouldn't get that uh, waterboarding of course was uh, used often during that time uh, they referred to waterboarding as tormenta de toca uh, toca referred to a piece of cloth that covered the victim's face uh, so yeah waterboarding has been around a long time long since before George W it, uh, it was definitely a, it, it's a miserable thing it would make the heretic feel as though the accused heretic feel as though they were drowning uh, the patient strangled and gasped and suffocated and at intervals the toka was withdrawn and he would 
he was adjured to tell the truth. Uh, of course, if he didn't tell the truth, they would just go ahead and keep doing it. Uh, the severity of the infliction was measured by the number of jars consumed, sometimes reaching six or eight. They would just constantly do this until finally most people would just give up, man. The Spanish donkey. We talked about that one before on here. Uh, imagine a sawhorse, if you will, covered in spikes <laughs> that you're placed upon naked, similar to the uh, the Judas uh, heat. Uh, the headless gun-wrenching donkey was the worst ride in town. Deceptively innocent in appearance, the vice was used through the Inquisition as a means of torture. Victims would be forced to sit on a wooden wedge, sometimes covered with spikes, with their feet left dangling on either side of the saddle. Sometimes they would add weights, and you would just end up causing open wounds, blood loss, infections, and after time, you would either confess or die. That was pretty much... That's what's crazy, is that there was no... Innocent until proven guilty. They would do these torture methods until you'd either confess or you would die. There was once they got you on this and you were accused, that was it. Mm -hmm. It was over, you know. And even a confession would sometimes lead to execution. It was just such bullshit what they would do, man. It is just it's insane. Now, to be fair. And I don't know why I'm playing so much devil's advocate. <laughs> it's but, okay to do that. But again, we mentioned the Holocaust at the beginning. And it's like, okay, well, the Holocaust was, you know, a couple of years and killed six million folks, right? Yeah. Um, we're not even talking about the people that were killed, you know, in war or for other reasons. But we're just straight, we're talking about the, the straight up, the final solution, um, you know, the Nazis, you know. But, you know, say, okay, well... You were you were doing math earlier. It said like somewhere, you know, they they they, they think approximately five thousand people died over three hundred years. So while it was bad, it wasn't like <laughs> I'll, I'll be very callous. It wasn't like they were gonna be they weren't gonna be dead by now anyway. Right. But <laughs> but I mean it wasn't it wasn't as uh, you know you say about fifty thousand people a year. For over 300 years, so 150,000 people prosecuted, 50,000 people a year, that's a lot of that, you know, of that 100,000, you know, 5,000 people, so that's, you know... 2.7%, roughly. Um, So, man, those ones that got the tail end, like, that was worse than losing the bad lottery. Because, I mean, the chances of you actually getting tortured or whatever were pretty slim considering population and stuff well you also got to wonder if it's a point of you know the ones that ended up going through the torture methods were the ones that were really hard-headed and and, and refused to admit guilt while you had some folks that were they, that had heard about the donkey and whenever <laughs> they were accused they were like yep i did it i'm gonna think i'll give me give me my <laughs> give me my bread and water and stick me in the dungeon i'm fine yeah so you gotta think that, that might have had a lot to do with it also Cause, yeah. No, because I, I would definitely probably be on that boat. I don't know how firm I'd stick with my beliefs once I was accused. Because, you know, once you're accused, it's either confess or die. Right. Which one do you want? And I'm sure that shit got around. They made sure, I'm sure they let people know. Well, and, it, you know, coming through here and reading about some of the stuff that was, you know, would get you in serious trouble, you know, witchcraft and superstition and stuff like that. Um Six people were burned alive. Um, another five were burned in effigy, you know, for witchcraft or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, people were killed for blasphemy, which, I mean, blasphemy really and truly can mean just about anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like, you, just about everything can be considered blasphemy if they want to. Because, I mean, nobody's perfect, so, yeah. you know... Um, but like sodomy, which we, you know, kind of Americans would think, oh man, you know, they probably had a pretty harsh view on that. Um, it says the first sodomite was burned by the Inquisition in Valencia in 1572. So almost a hundred years after it started was the first sodomite. You would think that that was going to be ones, the first ones they come after. Yeah. Um, but almost a hundred years of those accused, 19% of them were clergy. So, six uh, percent nobles, thirty-seven percent were workers, nineteen percent servants, and eighteen percent soldiers and sailors. Of almost five hundred cases in three hundred years, so that's really kind of a pretty small number yeah. considering. 
about 100 of the total involved allegations of child abuse. Um, adolescents were, pun were less, less harshly punished than adults. Um, as a rule, they condemned only those over the age of 25. So um, they didn't really come after that, which is odd because you would think that was one of their main, main things. Right. Mostly, it seems to almost have been more of a political um, protectionary situation rather than an actual religious cleansing. Because whenever you think of what blasphemy is, which you think about what witchcraft is, which you think about what sodomy is, whether you approve of those actions or not, in the eyes of the church, they're all pretty bad. Yeah. And to, to think that the, the percentages of the people that were coming after them were in, in for those kind of like high crimes and misdemeanors were pretty slim as, as opposed to whether or not you were just a false confessor. Yeah. <laughs> And maybe if you had some lands and titles that they wanted. <laughs> Which I'm sure that had a lot to do with a lot of things back then. So yeah, and they used some of the you know standard ones, like you mentioned, the uh, burning at the stake, uh, the rack, which is another one that's... Uh, the head crusher, which is... Uh, you know those old school sausage stuffers with the crank at the top? Yeah. <laughs> Essentially it was that, where it would... Uh, they would place part of it on top of your head. Your chin would be rested on a steel plate, and they would begin basically crushing your head until you finally confessed, or your brains popped out from your ears. Uh, another one is the uh, the Spanish tickler, not to be confused with the French variety, of course. <laughs> the Spanish tickler, you know, uh, <clears throat> those tools for your garden, which you use to go ahead and kind of aerate the soil and work it out a little bit, where it's a little roller with some spikes on it. Imagine one of those that are a couple of feet long, a lot heavier, longer spikes that they would rake across your back as you lay down, tie down, and it would pretty much rip your flesh out, break bones and that kind of stuff. That uh, It was just, it, it's crazy the shit they'd come up with <laughs> to, to basically force confessions out of people, man. <laughs> and like I said, I really think that kind of stuff got out, and that's why people were like, yep, guilty. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Because even dying in a dark dungeon cannot be as bad as the torture techniques that they were going through. So it was definitely the lesser of two evils. Yeah, it looks like the trials themselves were all pretty... Uh, they were very formal, but they didn't really let you uh, defend yourself very much. No. More or less, if you were accused, you were, you were told you were accused, you were given your chance to confess, and then... Let's see, torture. It was employed in all civil and religious trials in Europe. <clears throat> the Spanish Inquisition used it more restrictively than was common at the time. <laughs> the other ones used it more. Uh, they engaged in it less often with greater care than other courts and civil courts, both Spanish and otherwise. Uh, there was no restriction regarding the duration or anything else. So, torture was allowed only when sufficient proofs, proofs to confirm the culpability of the accused have been gathered by other means and every other method of negotiation have been tried and exhausted. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I don't know that that happened. Um... So, they had rules, they just didn't necessarily follow them. Right. Or, they, you know, like the torture methods and stuff were just to get the confessions, but the executions were, were blood-free, so they'd burn you. Right. Because blood was sacred, so rather than shed it, they'd just light it up. Yeah. <laughs> boil it out of your body. And as we mentioned earlier, also, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the Inquisition, you know, it started off as one thing, but then evil people realized they could take advantage of that kind of stuff. And there's tons of stories about this kind of stuff taking place. And one of them is a guy named Diego Rodriguez of Cerro, who was the Inquisitor in the Spanish area of Cordoba between 1499 and 1506. And Mr. Lucero, he was nicknamed the Bringer of Darkness. 
Uh, he did this more than once. In one uh, incident, he sent a man named Julian Tregueros to the stake so he could take his wife. Basically accused him of a heretic and killed him so that he could go ahead and marry his woman. Wow. And apparently he was notorious for that. Because another one of his mistresses was taken by burning the woman's parents and her husband. So he could just go ahead and... and that's the means, the, uh, the, the guise of the Inquisition were used for... A lot of just really messed up things. Uh, anyone that threatened him, that threatened his power, it was just a matter of accusing him of being a heretic and then going ahead and taking care of him. And this guy did this for you know six years straight until finally uh, they got sick of him. <laughs> Complained to the Marquis, and the Marquis sent his army to attack and, uh, and free the people in his prison. He did escape, uh, but the damage he caused was so scandalous that the Grand Inquisitor had him arrested in 1508. Uh, he died uh, a couple of years later. So, uh, yeah, these people, like I said, just under the guise of the Inquisition, they would just do some horrible, horrible things, man. Uh, there's a Scottish man named Willie Lithgow who was arrested by Inquisitors in a port city. Uh, they suspected he was an English spy. Couldn't find anything incriminating as a possession. So, they, uh, even though they admitted that he was innocent, they decided to keep him in their custody for notes he'd written criticizing Catholicism in his books. He just wrote some opinion pieces in some of his books. Uh, so they accused him of being a heretic. He was tortured and starved so badly that the Inquisitors were worried that he'd die. He was kept alive uh, by a couple of slaves who would sneak him food into his cell. He still refused to recant his religious beliefs, and finally he was sentenced to be burned. And he was... Uh, he was burned in rather elaborate fashion, needless to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he just innocent traveler stopped in the port, searched his bags. That was it. What is this? Well, here's something actually kind of funny. And you hear about this a lot with uh, in modern times with, you know, America and, and boat, you know, people trying to escape communism or whatever in the boats and stuff. It said that the Inquisition had rules for the type the and the uh, duration of torture. And um, per contrast, European civil trials from England, Italy, and, and from Spain to Russia could use and did use torture without justification and for as long as they considered it necessary. So much so that there were serious tensions between the Inquisition and Philip III. Since the Inquisitors complained that those people sent to the prisons of the king blasphemed and accused themselves of heresy just to be sent under the Inquisitional jurisdiction instead of the king's. And it was collapsing the Inquisitors' tribunals. <laughs> During the reign of Philip IV, there were registered complaints of the Inquisitors about people who blasphemed, mostly in winter, just to be detained and fed inside the prison. Despite some popular accounts, modern historic Historians state that torture was was only normally used to confirm information or confession, not for punishment. So people would get cold <clears> and they just go down there and be like, "God damn it!" <laughs> like a kid put in jail right, for a month. <laughs> right now, I'm picturing that Dave Chappelle meme. Modern problems call for modern solutions. Yeah. You want to get out of the cold? Confess to being a heretic. This guy's like, oh, I'm being, I'm, being, I'm being chased down by the king, and they're going to just torture me for a month. So if I go to the Spanish Inquisition and confess, I'll just go to jail for a while. <laughs> the world's messed up, man. <laughs> yeah, that is, is pretty crazy. So, yeah, that uh, that's the Inquisition. A lot more than, like I said, was portrayed in uh, Monty Python and... History of the World Part One. <laughs> so I may have to revisit that one here pretty soon. Well, cool, man. Well, that was fun. Maybe we can go a little bit more deep deep in detail on some of the people and stuff that were destroyed because it sounds pretty pretty rough on the ones they did. Yeah. Yeah. But uh There's one uh the uh Carvajal family, the Portuguese born uh folks that arrived with hundreds of settlers in Mexico in one of the Spanish colonies. Uh, it was him, his sister, uh, husband, and eight children all came along. They colonized and governed the modern-day state of Nuevo Leon. Uh, life was great until 1590, when the Inquisition suddenly arrested friend Siska and her family. Uh, the Corbajals, a family of conversos, uh, were accused of practicing Judaism. So they were, they were Jews, and they converted... Mm-hmm. And but they were 
this happened many times. They were still uh, uh, accused of practicing in secret the original Jewish faith. Uh, under torture, the family fell apart. Uh, Francisco finally confessed. They tortured everybody separately. So you have the husband worried about his children saying, no, we're not, we're not. And the wife, you know, getting tortured saying, we are, we are. So uh, he ended up being found everybody guilty. Uh, one of the sons testified against uh, some of the other siblings. Uh, in December 1596, they were all burned at the stake. Uh, husband died before the execution itself due to the uh, complications from the torture. And a son named Balthazar escaped the Inquisition by fleeing the city. Uh, Mariana, another daughter, was executed six years later. Uh, only two of their youngest children were actually spared. But yeah, that's <clears throat> a whole family that weren't guilty of anything. Uh, torture finally got one of them to go ahead and confess, and everything just got worse after that. Mm. Killed an entire family, dude. There's just so many just really heartbreaking stories that came out. 300 years, you got to think that some of the really bad stuff happened. Yeah. Well, all right, man. Let's call that one an episode, and we will see you uh, next week. We'll have a special guest, and we'll talk about some more torture and heresy. <laughs> <laughs> Later. Later.